This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Hey everyone, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, I recommend that you do it first as this episode is a continuation of the top 40 elite prospects for 2020. Enjoy. So that was our the top 10 for elite prospects now. Next, we're going to get into the bottom 30. I don't think we're going to cover all of them as in depth as we did with this top 10. Do you want a break or do you want to just keep going? All right, let's just keep going. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So, uh... Heading out to number 11 now, we have Askarov, who I think has a huge variance in where he's ranked just because he's a goalie and people don't really know where to rank goalies in the NHL right and now. people because... don't know how to evaluate them either. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's a myriad of issues with uh There's a lot. Goalies. Yeah, so break, break down where... Uh, we we could talk a little bit about this because I think he's one of the more interesting prospects I'm going to talk about in the bottom 20 or 30 prospects. Um, where do you, so do you think he is the best goaltending prospect to come to kind of come out of Russia in the last, however long, uh, do you think how long until he gets into the NHL? What are the strengths and weaknesses in his game? What does he, what does he have to work on? Kind of break it down as much as you can for us. I don't think you're a goalie expert by any means, but <laughs> I could spend a lot of time with Roly Melanson and Scott Clements and they, they taught me enough. Um, okay. and I, <laughs> Maybe I, I converse, <laughs> I, I converse with Kat Silverman, who is the resident goalie expert. So I will just regurgitate all of the things. Um, first of all, he is the best goaltending prospect, um, probably since Andre Vasilevsky to come out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time we've had Samsonov, uh, Shesterkin or Igor Shesterkin. Yeah. And Sorokin, um, we don't know where the latter three will end up, but I think Askarov has all of the makings of another absolutely excellent Russian goaltender. Um, 
he was a guy that was thought that potentially could go top five, and then he wasn't very good at the World Juniors, uh, which Another one usually <laughs> under-18 goalies aren't. Um, and, but he also wasn't good at the Junior A Challenge, and that sort of put a seed of doubt in people's minds. But, like, let's not get crazy. He is by far, like, by far the best goalie in this draft. It is not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you could see, like... If Ottawa gets, let's say Ottawa gets the second pick and like the ninth pick, I I feel like you could see Eskarov go in the top ten. Um, if a team really feels like they they like what he's got and they see that potential, um, I absolutely think that he could go in the top ten. Um, I would say the one thing that uh, alarms me a little bit is he's very loud with his feet. So um, in the crease, he's you'll notice um, with either Carey Price or Carter Hart, um, they're very quiet. So once their feet are set, like they don't move and they push, um, it's powerful. Whereas Askarov, I noticed this like weird thing where he's bobbing his feet back and forth, almost like he's kicking them. And that impacts your ability to be set. Because God mm. forbid you have to like lunge into a save mid feet kicking like a dolphin, <laughs> that's a problem. So I think like I love that. Whatever goaltending development coach gets him is gonna be like, all right, that's like step one. That shit's gotta go. Mm. Um, but in terms of ability to make like such athletic acrobatic obscene saves. Like, he does things where I'm like, that's a goal. And then all of a sudden, it's like, and it's been saved. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, it's very um, Vasilevsky-esque. Just out of nowhere yes. saying, yeah. And, and like, SK, there have been times where, like, his team's been outplayed. And he has completely slammed the door for them. Um, and so, like, to me, I think Vas- uh, Askarov has all of the makings to be a number one like top five nhl goalie um he's going to be part of that like way the new wave of goaltender like the carter hart chesterkin um that sort of um kind of wave of goalies that's coming it'll be a few years before he plays in the nhl is all goalies take longer to develop Mm -hmm. um but if he quiets his feet down um and he'll mentally mature as well like i think that he's got all the tools to be um, an absolute game stealer for whatever team gets him. As long as they don't think that putting an 18 year old in the NHL is a good idea because uh, it's not. So if we're looking at, you know, some of the comparables you mentioned, Samsonov, uh, Shesterkin, they all took, you know, four or five years, I believe all of them to kind of get into the NHL and become, I think they're all basically backups right now where timeshares and Samson is probably going to be a starter in Washington next season. Shusterkin's probably going to be a starter in, in the range. Shusterkin's only season. not starting because they have King. Yes. If they did not have King <laughs> Henrik, yes. And he outperformed him this year too. Probably, I said I think. that, Eric. You didn't believe me. What do you mean? I totally... Well, no. Okay, no, so I said the, play- the playoffs. King Henrik deserves the respect. He... Yeah. The Rangers were a hot pile of garbage for like 90% of the time he was there. And like somehow he dragged them to a cup final. Like yes. their management failed him big time. And so the least they could do is give him the respect. Like when I was seeing trade rumors, I'm like, you've got to be joking. 
Like he's been so loyal to your tire fire of whatever the hell this was. And did like stood on his head getting outshot by like 30% on a nightly basis. And you're just ready to ship him out of town. Like you gotta be kidding. So to me, he's getting the time because he has earned to go out on his own terms. So do you? So we we've had this argument, me and Ty, on this podcast. Do you do you think he's going to be starting in the playoffs this year? London? Um, I think it's depends. Uh, like, the, yeah, they'll go they'll go into camp, um, and they'll see like if if Shashorkin is brutal in camp, then like I don't see how you can go with that. I could see them either splitting time, like one one kind of thing realistically i think it's going to be a short leash for whoever it is so like whoever gets the first game if they lose it's very likely that the other guy goes in for game mm-hmm. two that kind makes of thing. sense so, so I, I mean to me like i would probably give if you're looking for experience and you feel like your team kind of needs that calming presence i probably go lundquist i think shesh yorkin's the better goalie right now that's right <laughs> <laughs> I'll just listen to the second half of that answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So getting back to Askarov now. So I think Askarov is really interesting because obviously you said, you know, he started out in the top five uh, for most draft rankings at the beginning of the year. And he's kind of fallen to the 10 range, 10 to 15 range. But if I'm I'm looking at the draft lottery right now and the teams that are in the lottery, and I'm thinking which one of those teams would ask actually want to draft Askarov that high, right? Because if you're drafting him at 11, you're missing out on a lot of top-end talent, obviously. And a lot of these teams that I'm looking at right now have um, either top goalies in their system or young starters already. So if I'm looking, obviously, Detroit doesn't really have anyone. Ottawa doesn't really have anyone, like you mentioned. So he could... Um, he could be drafted by them. But the only other teams that don't really have a future in net right now are probably Chicago and Minnesota out of the top, you know, 11 teams getting and getting drafted right now, right? Because Or the top 15, essentially, because Florida has Bobrovsky, Spencer Knight, Columbus has Elvis, and God knows how many other Scandinavian or whatever goalies in their system. Just people they pluck out of thin air. Yeah. <laughs> the Rangers, obviously, Shesterkin, Winnipeg, Halyabuck. Yeah, um, I would be taking, uh, like, Winnipeg needs somebody behind Hellebuck. Yeah, so you th- you th- you think that Askarov's a good pick for Winnipeg, even with Hellebuck being, I think, 25 or 26 right now? Well, because by the time Askarov's ready, Hellebuck's going to be probably 29 or 30. Okay, that's interesting. So he right? so he could be an option for Winnipeg at wherever they are, uh, probably 10 to 12. But here's okay. the deal, like... Goaltending is the single most important position in hockey. Yes. So if you have the ability to get potentially potentially a star goaltender, like I promise you in a redraft, Vasilevsky doesn't go at like 19 or whatever he went at. He goes top mm-hmm. five, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where if you have the ability to get a goaltender that could steal you games, you, that's you take, you take the goalie. Like mm-hmm. you just do, but you have to believe in yourself um that you could um that you could develop this guy and if you don't have any belief then i mean that's probably an indictment of whoever you have developing goalies um 
But to me, there's goalies don't tend to work out a ton. So even if you think you have a good system, the opportunity that comes up to draft a potential star, I, I, I don't really see how you'd pass that up. Okay, I have That's... zero faith in any goalie out there. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, you just say you wanted Shostorkin to play? Yeah, okay, I have faith in him, but very, okay, very few goalies. Okay, so that. you're a Leaf fan, and that's scarred. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ty is full of interesting conundrums and <laughs> I, uh, very emotional thoughts sometimes. He, you know? Yeah, Ty is the most emotional out of all of us. So one day he'll be saying this: one player is the best player in the world, and the next he'll be. Yeah. He's, He's crap, and well, he should be moved out. One day, Frederick <laughs> Anderson's the best goalie in the league. The next day, out. trade get him. Rid of him. Yeah, get out. Wow. So I'm sure you took the David Ayers situation very well. Oh man. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I gave you up tickets to that game. You should have listened to the podcast. And oh my god, Ty was going off. Do we need to oh fire Dubas? He needs I never to trade everyone. No, no, no. You no, did no, say no. that. Don't I said trade everybody. I yes. actually, <laughs> I had tickets to that game, and and I gave them up. Oh, and thank God, because if I would have paid a single dime for that, I would have been so upset. Honestly, I would have paid just to see the complete mess of the situation that game was. <laughs> no, I, I no, I would have been very upset. <laughs> Thanks for bringing, putting that back in my head. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on to goalies now. Uh, we're going to number twelve. We've got Maverick Bork. I have I know absolutely nothing nothing about him. So you're gonna have to break break him down for me. Uh huh. Okay. So I'm gonna trust um, our Quebec scout. I have only really seen him play um, probably like four or five games, um, but he is on my list of like elite prospects with like my eyeballs on him so i have to uh to watch him um but i he's got um what what kind of just my opinion i guess um a variety of ways he releases the puck um so he's very deceptive um and i like that because i think that that's very translatable um i don't know if i would have him at 12 i'd probably have him probably a little bit lower but i will let David make that um, push because he watches him a ton. Um, he has this knack for getting D to kind of collapse on him. Um, so he's very magnetic um, in terms of the fact that like he'll draw defensive players to him and then he'll um, have this like incredible ability to find outlet passes under pressure. Um, and he uses things like head fakes and, and even like some deceptive short passes, but like he knows how to use um, deception to create passing lanes or create shooting lanes. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is un- like, it's, it's translatable. Um, but I, like he, to me, like he disturbs transitions well, but like there's, there's development that needs to be had in the defensive game. And I think that, he definitely takes pride in his defensive game. So he has very much like Anton Lundell, a very um, high possibility that he's kind of like a, a two way uh, forward. Um, and very much like Lundell, um, he lacks dynamic qualities, like not um, the get you out of your seat kind of player. He doesn't like dominate with his speed or stick handling. It's kind of like a mix of 
um, using his head and um, he doesn't really beat guys one-on-one. So I think that, um, first of all, he plays on a team where it's like him and almost no one else. So it it's very much like, whoa, uh, we'll see. Um, but he kind of like, he's really smart at, at kind of taking what's given to him, but he doesn't break things open. So he's not a game breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, I would say that like he'll, he will be a, a very well-rounded player. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE, all caps. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Because I think him and Brendan Brisson are probably the two kind of the weird ones I see in the top 15 players that of uh, your guys rankings because i i was looking at bob mckenzie's and he doesn't have them even in the top 25 so i think they're 20 I'm looking at which here, means a bunch of nhl guys don't have yeah, them yeah. so <laughs> clearly i follow too many nhl guys apparently because i had never even heard i i'd, I'd heard about him but i know knew, knew nothing about him basically because i only really paid attention to the top 15 to 20 guys in the uh in the draft typically just because we focus more on the nhl um but so yeah, I found I found that really interesting. So moving on to Seth Jarvis, who I actually really personally I really like, and I'm a big fan, and I think he could easily be a top ten player in this draft. I think if it weren't for uh, teams wanting to kind of reach it for defensemen, in my opinion, I think he's going to fall because of that. But uh, what's your take on Seth Jarvis? Um, well, our data loves him, like yeah. loves him, um, and so like he's above average with his skating he sees the game exceptionally well um i personally um mitch brown and i like have discussions about him and like we both think he is under pressure probably one of the best attackers in this draft so like if you actually put pressure on him he thrives um mm-hmm. he does like cutbacks like he's so agile with his skating that um he can do things um with his hands and with his feet that that really open up space for not only himself, but for others. Um, he's It's a bit of a crossover heavy stride. So like he kind of relies on crossovers a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but he's, he's got good acceleration. It's not choppy. Like it's, it's, you can see it kind of happening. Um, he is not afraid to get to the middle of the ice, whether it's by making a dangerous pass or by kind of getting right to the middle to get a shot off. Like he's just absolutely fearless. And I love that. Um, I've noticed a couple times he's kind of done this like shot pass thing where he's completely sold the goalie and the defenders, um, that he's going to shoot the puck. And then all of a sudden it's like this shot pass to the side of the net for a tap in. Um, I would say like, when we talk about, like, i mentioned his acceleration briefly, like it's, it's, it's smooth. It's just not McDavid fast kind of thing. Like he doesn't have that breakaway speed, but it is, I would say, he has a better chance of being able to achieve very 
high-end acceleration because the foundation is there. Mm. Um, he is not physical, though, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so there are there are times where he uh, can be a little bit invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I think that he he sort of requires um, space to kind of get himself adjusted and, and get moving. Um, and like I don't know if that's gonna necessarily be successful in the NHL. Um, like how much of this is he plays against lesser competition. Um, and so for me, like, yes, he sees plays and yes, like he is an incredible offensive player, but I mean, like he's not overpowering. And when you're that size, I think you need to have that like extreme level of acceleration or an extreme level of skill like Johnny Gaudreau does. Um, and so like I, I have questions on the translatable factors of his game, but I think that if they do translate, we're looking at a guy who uh, is absolutely um, kind of in that, maybe not like superstar level, but like impact player. So having listened to how you just described his game, do you think he should be lower than 13? Because I no. see, I've seen a lot. Of, no? Okay, so you, nope. so you do think he should be that high then? Like, yeah, that's really interesting. I really he's like got way... an, Sorry, he's continue. he's got an extremely high ceiling. Mm-hmm. So it's one yeah. of those things where, like, again, you're looking at what the player could be, not what the player currently is. See, this is why I'm really happy we had you on because you like I love the way you break down players because you're mentioning so many things that I've never even really considered or even thought of, you know, considering when it comes to breaking down players. So this is honestly really great for me and i hope everyone that's that will be listening gets a lot of value from this but uh so moving on i'm gonna skip a couple guys because i just want because we have a lot of guys to go over and i kind of want to talk about the ones that i'm more interested in specifically so i want to talk a little bit about jack quinn because there's a lot of varying opinions on his on him and i trust you a lot more than i do most random people on the internet (laughs) um so kind of what's your take on jack (laughs) um okay the beginning of the year i was not a fan um Mm -hmm. far too inconsistent for me whether it was like just his uh, it looked like sometimes it was a chore for him to be there and to me that's very concerning because like your lack of effort without the puck and even with the puck it, it, it was not great um he would have times where like you couldn't even convince me that he played and then as the year went on, first of all, like you score 52 goals. Like that's pretty difficult to ignore. Um, mm-hmm. But he started to score in a variety of ways. So he could beat you with a shot from the outside, but then he was driving to the net. He was using the back of the net as a weapon. He was scoring off of rebounds. He was scoring off of deflections. Like it was like every day I was seeing something. Where I was like, Oh, that's new. Um, and his, level of tenacity on the puck got better his forechecking got better he was laying the body a little bit more he was using his body to protect the puck a little bit more as opposed to just kind of fishing with his stick um and he was rewarded for that because um and you could see it he was he was put on the penalty kill he's not going to be a penalty killer in the nhl um but in junior when you start to do things that make the coach trust you they'll put you on the penalty kill And so when he started to do that um, and he was stopping and starting and he was 
sort of more physically and mentally engaged in all facets of the game, it really started to take off for him. And he didn't need Marco Rossi to continue to just kind of um, pull the bus. Like he was able to drive a line himself. Um, I think he's here because I'm still not super convinced that everything's going to translate to the next level. Um, but I do think he's going to be uh, another one of the preeminent goal scorers of this draft. I think he has one so of the where best you... shots in the draft. Sorry. I want to I want to share some things <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> okay, then. Thanks for your input, Ty. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so... So why do you think that most people are still so kind of torn on him? Do you think it's because a lot of people are still kind of taking into account what you mentioned earlier, his compete level and, you know, and you think that's kind of carrying over from last year? Because I think that's probably partly as to why I never even really considered him for being in the top 20 of this year's drafts, because I did watch a lot more of him last summer and I didn't really see anything impressive when I, when I was watching him. So you think that's, the reason why he's, you know, 30th on some people's rankings that I've seen in the second round and all okay, that. Okay, if he's outside of, like, the top 25, just, like, don't even pay attention to that ranking. <laughs> like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, I think absolutely uh, some teams definitely have some reservations because, like, that inherent um, inconsistent compete factor is uh, – is concerning, but I think that he was so consistent basically from like December, the beginning of December onward, that at least in my mind, he completely dispelled that. Because if you have a, a run of like 10 games where you're consistently in on the play and, and engaged, then like, okay, yeah, you know what, I'll be skeptical. He was that way for three and a half months. <laughs> and it was like every shift he was consistent. And I there wasn't a single viewing I had from December onward where I left thinking, nah, I didn't really like him tonight. Like it was very much um, like he was almost like a new player. And so he completely kind of dispelled that um, those notions for me. I see. Okay. So moving on to Amarov then, who I think he had kind of had an interesting season because I, I have a really hard time kind of getting a perspective on Russian players i'm not sure how much you've seen of him but because they get yes, moved because around they so play in yeah, the khl, KHL, yeah. KHL play at random hours in the night they, it's just it's just they a whole mess film, of their games are filmed through a potato fun fact yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so have you seen much about him or because I, I honestly don't know i've seen a lot of really great like uh, i've heard a lot of really great things from him but at the same time i don't i think you guys had him higher than almost anyone else that i've seen so what's your uh, what's your take on him? Um, so like I have not seen a ton of him. Like I I hear conversations, I've seen a few games, but like again, I refuse to watch things that look like they're filmed in a potato. Um, well that well that's the problem with like so many junior games and stuff too. It's just such a pain. Oh and, my it, god, it, I worked in Sunbury. Trying to watch, need to watch get started. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That, that's so why I, I do would say like, um. Whole live because like you want to see them on video but it's impossible a lot of the time to kind of get any good perspective on most of these prospects just based on the video yeah so i would say like um he's a really good passer 
Um, so he he will see options before he even has the puck so he can make the the quick play. He kind of like it's almost like playing chess three steps ahead. Um he adapts to um different situations so he doesn't necessarily if the play is there but he doesn't want to make it right away and then it closes like he doesn't still try and force the issue um i think he can be a little bit more deceptive with his passing to make it more dangerous um but he he uses his skating well like he sometimes he'll attack with speed other times he'll attack with more of like a deceptive um different gears um which i like um, you can also tell that he's reading off his teammates. So like he doesn't just go like full steam ahead. He's reading to see what they're doing. And then he is adjusting himself um, to to match that. And that's not always consistent, but like the fact that he shows that he can do that, um, it, it makes him elusive. And so for me, like that's super important. Um, his, I would say like sh- his shooting leaves some to be desired, specifically the catch and release. Um, there is far too much stick handling between puck reception and actual shot. Um, he is not dynamic one-on-one either. Um, so I think that for to be like a star, you've got to be good one-on-one and you've got to have that like dynamic ability to, to make the passes, but also be a shooting threat. And his catch and release right now just is like, it's not good enough. Um, but I think that he could be kind of like a, a playmaking complementary piece in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of, um, our, our group at EP. I think that's kind of our general feeling is that like, he's a middle six complementary player. Okay. So now I kind of want to get into two different guys because I think where they're going to go is really interesting. I think it can vary a lot because I know, these are both two defensemen, uh, Granz and Caden uh, Gould. So I know that, Gooley. you know, defense, Gooley, well, <laughs> I know defensemen, they, it's so hard to rank them because teams often reach on defensemen or at least pick them a little bit earlier because of team need. Obviously, you know, you're supposed to draft the best player available, but blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't happen. All know, that doesn't happen, no matter how much you say it, it will. So can you run through both their games and then also. Do you think it would be a good idea to draft these two guys ahead of guys like Seth Jarvis, Dawson Mercer, Jack Quinn? Because obviously, you know, I think most scouts would say they're more talented, but, you know, defensemen are so rare. They're so uh, all the different reasons why uh, defensemen tend to go higher in drafts. What are you, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Um. Okay. So like Mitch loves Kate and Gooley. Um, and I like rightfully so. Um. Again, like, the biggest knock on him is like he's horribly inconsistent. Um right, like he doesn't he's not special with his puck skills um or or his reads in the offensive zone, but like his skating and he's like he's physical, he erases guys. Um I love his risk assessment, which I mean to me, um when you couple his ability to retrieve the puck and then make the right decision with the puck, it leads to not a lot of turnovers and coaches like that. And I like that. And so his ability to go back, get the puck shoulder check, identify the options and make the correct decision to get his team going the other direction. Um, I, I love that about him um, physically. Like he is an absolute lunatic. 
like he is such a psycho to play against like he will he will erase people and not even think twice about it and uh teams are definitely gonna love that um so i would say like with Caden Gooley, there's a ton to like you can work on puck skill like mm-hmm. it is not difficult to to work on puck handling with a player but his ability to like read the play and make the pass and um the, the skating and and just kind of get the puck transitioning uh, to, to the other end of the ice. Um, like, I think that that's, that's huge. Um, now, will his lack of passing ability slash vision in the offensive zone impede him as an offensive defenseman? I think it will. Like, I don't think he's going to be this offensive defenseman. I think he probably tops out as like a four, like a number mm-hmm. four D. Um, which is still pretty good, but I also like I think Helga Grands probably is a is a top four D as well. Um and so like I haven't admittedly I haven't seen Helga Grands play a ton. Um, but our elite prospect Swedish Scout, um, he basically says like he thinks he can he tops out as a top four D. Um he's like he's big, like he's got gangly arms, so like his reach is exceptional and he uses that for some pretty good gap control. Um, but kind of opposite to Caden Gooley, uh, and I noticed this when I watched him a few times, he's like very much, he overcomplicates things in his own end. Um, and like that did improve over the course of the year, according to Christopher, but like is everything is so complicated when he has the puck in his own end and that is, that's going to lead to turnovers. Um, he doesn't shoot the puck particularly well. Like he pretty much just uses his wrist shot, um, and the other opposite to Caden Gooley is that he's sort of hesitant to physically engage. Um, so he's not looking to go out there and physically erase you and throw you into the boards and, and all of that. It's He's way less like that, which, I mean, I don't think a ton of Swedish defensemen are this menacing um, defenseman, but, like, he's got a good stride. Um, he's pretty good off the puck, too, which is which is nice. He walks the blue line really, really well. Um, I think that he doesn't necessarily have that acceleration that Caden Gooley has. Um, but once he's kind of at the speed he needs to be at, he's good at matching, um, the, the speed of the player of like the puck carrier. Um, so I would say like these two, they're, they're, they're definitely, um, beneath Sanderson and Drysdale, but they're still like, I, I would say they're still probably top four defensemen. Do you think Gooley's more of a as more of a safe pick in your in your opinion? Because I know that's what a lot, a lot of people have been saying. Yes. Have been I I think he is the more safe pick. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to twenty two, then you guys have Noel Gunler. I I think Gunler's one of my favorite players actually in this draft, just because I've gotten I've gotten personally to see a lot of a lot of him through uh, different just different video and then i've read a lot about him and i've kind of been following along with him for the last year and a half um so Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about him i think uh i think he he again he's probably one of the better goal scorers in the draft he has probably one of the best shots in the draft as well but other than that what are the strengths to his game what are the weaknesses and why you know i personally i had him in the top 15 so why why do you guys have him uh much lower so he's kind of fallen off um, because of two things. And um, he's like his shot. There is no uh, debating it. it like mm-hmm. there is just no debating it. Um, 
but he's a very clunky uh, skater. Like he, he sometimes he can pick up speed, sometimes he can't. Like it's super inconsistent, which leads me to believe that he probably needs to completely remake his skating stride. Um, and you can do that absolutely. Like it's that's something that that a summer of work can can really go a long way with. Um, but he is the king of inconsistent play. Like he is so low energy that like I sometimes you think that he his heart is not even beating. Um and that's super concerning. Um, but I think he's got a high ceiling. Like I think he's one of those players he could be a top six forward and because he's got that shot, he could be a power play weapon that just scores goals kind of thing. And I think that um he's gotta like he's gotta learn to play with other players, but he seems to be able to read the game decently well um and so like he can get the spots where he can get his shot off like that's that's very good but the skating and the just like not showing up is is probably what saw him fall I would say mm-hmm. um he's definitely you could see that he's improved his defensive play this year like playing in the SHL was very good um this year like you could see that that defensive development um, he can beat guys one on one, but it's it's again like it's not super consistent, and I don't expect that to be the case at the NHL level. Um, but I think like he his ability to just get a variety of shots off, whether it's a one timer, a wrist shot, a snapshot, um, a curl and drag, like there's so much variable variability there that it it makes him dangerous. And so all he has to do to have like success is a, be a good enough skater to get himself to spots in the NHL and to get the shot off. I think Mm -hmm. that's sort of um, what he needs to be successful, but like, my God, you can't just disappear for like games on end. Kind (laughs) of thing. You should not be able to wear a suit under your hockey equipment, which some nights he does. (laughs) So what what do you think is kind of his ceiling is in the NHL then? Do you think, you know, he ends up being a 30-goal scorer, a uh, 40-goal scorer? What do you think he ends up being in the NHL? Um, It kind of depends, right? Because if he does improve his skating, I think absolutely he could be a 30-goal 30, 30 scorer in the NHL. Um, If he doesn't and his work rate's low, then I think he probably tops out as a third-line guy. So Mm -hmm. I think that you're looking either at a high-end second liner that's extremely dangerous on the power play, or you've got kind of like this third-line guy who plays on your second unit on the power play, and all he does is get shots off kind of thing. Yeah. So so like my opinion of him was he's kind of a boomer bust pick in that kind of sense where he either isn't really going to do anything for you or he's going to be this insanely talented dynamic goal scorer that just, you know, scores on, you know, 20% of his shots or 15% of his shots, whatever it is at the NHL level. So that's yeah, it's that's, it's a very boomer bust situation. All right, validated that for me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, moving on to, uh, I think I kind of wanted to talk about the other defensemen, the last kind of defenseman that you guys have in the first round. You guys don't have many defensemen in the first round, which is very interesting compared to the other rankings that I've seen. But uh, Jeremy Poirier, uh, yeah, can you break him down a little bit and then? 
I kind of want to talk a little bit about why there are so many other. Do you guys think that this this obviously this list is just based off of talent, but do you think there's a couple other defensemen, you know, that you've ranked from thirty two to I don't know somewhere in fifty that are going to kind of pop up in the first round just because of team need? Um. Yes, I think Ryan O'Rourke probably ends up in the first round. Um. I'm trying to let me. I have to pull up the list now. <laughs> yeah, I have to pull up. I have a bunch of like tabs open. Um, and of course, their positions aren't here either. Um, yeah, I think Ryan O'Rourke, Braden Schneider, um, they probably pop into the first round. Um, mm. I'm trying to think of any like Justin Barron, probably. I could see a team taking a swing on him in the first round. Um, yeah, like I think there's to me like you're drafting for ceiling, um, and so I, I think that there are um, players that have higher ceilings that are forwards, um, and that's just kind of, I think, the overall opinion at elite prospects. Um, but as far as Jeremy Poirier goes, um, he kind of what I really like about him is he's he's unselfish offensively, and what I mean by that is. When he's shooting, he is not shooting to score. He is shooting to create for his teammates. So he's like shooting at sticks for tips or he's shooting specifically for a rebound. And like, I have a hell of a time trying to get the guys that I work with to do that because everyone just wants to shoot to score. And they don't always understand that that's not the most productive thing to do. Um, so I think that he has a chance to be a real offensive defenseman because he that's, how, that's just how he thinks. Um, he's always moving, whether he's... Um, going up and down the blue line, trying to execute switches, uh, using the dots. Like he's always trying um, to find a teammate and to get a teammate open in a position to score. Um, I do think that he's not necessarily going to be this like rushing defenseman at the NHL level, just because like he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily have that acceleration or the ability to kind of read how the D is playing him in order to make the next move. So like sometimes he'll try plays that just aren't there. Um, and so I, I, like, I don't see how that's going to translate at the next level. Um, but his, like his man to man defense, because he's such a good skater, um, he neutralizes opponents like really, really well. And then lets his teammate come take the puck. He's very unselfish, um, with his, with his skating. Although I will say I noticed, and I, I need to watch him more, but he defends skating forward a lot, and I think that's probably because his backward skating is not the best. So, like, going forwards, very good, agile, like, can create a lot. Uh, but defending the rush while skating backwards seems to... He doesn't seem to be very comfortable doing that. Um, but I'm going to have to go and, and watch more tape about that. So I could see why there would be concerns there, because um, you need to be able to skate backwards as a defenseman um, and take like, he doesn't take the angles that Jake Sanderson takes. Jake Sanderson's angles are out of this world. Good. Um, but I think he's got a chance to be kind of like that top four elite puck moving defenseman. Um, so he's not going to be this crazy, like defensive guy, but like once your team has the puck and if he has to go back and retrieve it and break it out, like that's what he is. So why do you think that – so you talked a little bit about his decision-making and and his kind of 
transition game, basically, and that's why he's not as dynamic. Do you not think that that's something that can be taught a little bit more uh, by, you know, whoever, the training staff at NA, in the NHL, right? Because I think if you're talking about his game sense, so to speak, do you think that's something that could be taught to him to kind of bring him up to that next level? I think there's probably like five people on earth that can teach that to the degree that um, it would make a discernible difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Daryl Belfry is the king of that. Um, Adam Nicholas as well. Um, Daryl Belfry is employed by the Leafs. So, but he also has like um, clients around the NHL. Like he's got Patrick Kane. Um Adam Oates can teach that. Um, and so I think that, it, first of all, he needs to be in an environment that um, is conducive to that kind of development. And there are uh, not a lot of teams that have invested a ton in development. Um, like, let's just say, if he goes to Buffalo, like, just, it, it, they don't even have a development coach now. So, so I want to talk a little bit about that, actually, because I want to take, I want to hear your take on this, because... <laughs> And not not this isn't specifically about Buffalo. This is about the NHL in general. Do, do you is it of your, is it your opinion that teams don't invest enough in their development staff? Because you would think that if the because of the way the NHL is set up, you have control of this asset, this player, for the first seven or eight years of their career if they started at eighteen, and you're you're guaranteed you have this player. Why do you think that so many NHL teams don't invest more into their player development? staff because you would think that that's kind of the thing that they can control the most right because you look at the draft and you can invest in in uh in your scouting department as much as you can but at the end of the day nobody knows exactly what's going to happen it's kind of very random mixed results everyone has mixed results but player development you can control so much better at the nhl level right so why do you think that teams don't invest more into that into that aspect of, of their organizations um I, I genuinely, uh, I couldn't tell you why. Um, to me, it's it's absolutely frustrating. Um, and if you look at teams like the Boston Red Sox or um, I, like the Toronto Maple Leafs even, um, they spend more money on their development staff and developing their players than they do on scouting. Mm-hmm. And they should because the scouting portion of it, while important, it doesn't... <laughs> As one director of amateur scouting said, I didn't draft a player, even though I wanted him, because I knew he would get stuck in our system and wouldn't develop, and he deserves better than that. So when a scout has identified a player, but then also knows that his team fucking sucks at developing, and then doesn't draft that player, that speaks volumes. That tells me that you need to not have 18 scouts, you probably need to have like seven, Mm -hmm. and you need to be spending that money on development because it would... It is truly flabbergasting the little amount of resources that get spent on developing players. Like, it is unbelievable to me that you would just have this asset and, like, you just check in with them four or five times a year. Like, yeah, I you completely look at what agree. Toronto does and what some of the other teams that are legitimately developing, like Carolina, mm-hmm. um, how they approach development, like, it's completely different. But you've got some teams that have, like, 13 or 14 scouts and then like two guys to do development. I'm like, well, I'm really glad that all your scouts found these players, but they're not going to go anywhere if you have no one to develop them. So don't even bother. 
Like it's it's one of those things to me where it's 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 ridiculous. So do you have any insight into which, uh, obviously you give a few examples right there, Buffalo on one end and then Carolina and Toronto on the other. Do you have any insight into other NHL organizations and how they do it? Because obviously I think that's one of the hardest things from a fan perspective and from like just the general public perspective is, is knowing how good is their scouting department versus how good is their player development department, right? Because you can, as you mentioned, you can scout as well as you possibly can, but if your player development uh, team doesn't develop them properly and doesn't give them the right instructions, give them the ways to improve their game the best, then they're not going to, then, then it doesn't matter, right? So, what do you know which organizations, other than some of the few that you mentioned there, do it, have it really bad? And then other ones that, you know, have been better at it over the last five years, let's say? Well, I think there's one really obvious one. Um, because I don't know how you have this amount of high picks and are still bad. Uh, Edmonton <laughs> like it's, people are like oh well they have McDavid and Dreisaitl you did not have to develop a McDavid like <laughs> shut up okay and you just sent Dreisaitl back to Junior and then all of a sudden he was good you didn't do anything so I, that doesn't count but then you look at Yessi Puyi and Philip Broberg going backwards this year and like we don't even have to get into the list of ugliness that is the Edmonton Oilers drafting and developing. <laughs> Hopefully that changes under Ken Holland because I don't think it could get any worse. Um, Vancouver's drafting, um, you can tell by their fans and the uproar and the loss of Judd Brackett mm-hmm. um, that they're not thrilled um, that they lost him. And I think that him finding the players that he did and their development in NCAA. So one of the things is when you're in um, the NCAA, you're actually not allowed um, or you weren't when I was employed um, to do development sessions and such with your NHL team during your season. It had to be kind of like in the summer um, because the NCAA is uh, crazy and vile. Um, Yeah. Let's not get into that. That's a whole other podcast. Um, (laughs) I've had my dealings with them and, and yeah, I don't have a lot of good things to say. Um, so a lot of the players that Vancouver has developed um, have come from the NCAA. And so it's not Vancouver's development. And then you look at Ole Levy, and uh, it's not great. And Jake Bertanen, and it's not great. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're losing the guy um, that, that sort of helped uncover um, some of these gems that are developing in the NCAA. And you're not really doing a ton to develop them. Um, and then obviously we discussed Toronto. I think Winnipeg does a great job of, of developing their prospects as well. Um, I think Montreal probably makes some really ill-advised and poor decisions with their prospect. See Yesberry Kotkaniemi as example A. Um, but then they end up getting guys like Victor Mete, who now, anytime you come from London... London is doing the developing. Yes. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's just kind of like a unto itself. Like it's their, they're their own factory. Um, but yeah, like Carolina has developed a ton of really good defensemen. Um, I think Philadelphia has done a pretty good job of late developing their prospects. You look at like Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, um, even uh, the development of Travis Konechny. Um it has been good. Um, Columbus, the same. I think uh, their goaltenders alone speak for themselves, but you look at the <laughs> steps that Pierre-Luc Dubois has taken um, 
and he took a significant step this year. Um, but I would yeah. say that there are more teams that are absolutely horrendous than there are that are marginally good, and then even less so that are very good. So do you have any idea of uh, how much teams actually resource-wise or money-wise they invest in scouting versus they invest in player development? Like, you know, this... I would say more than double. $8 million on this and spend $2 million. Oh, or I am not <laughs> disclosing finances. I'm not allowed to do that. Um, but I can tell you that most teams spend more than double on their scouts than they their scouting than they do on uh, developing. Wow. Okay, because I would, because just from my perspective, and you've just convinced me of it even more now. But you should be, it should be the opposite way around. If we look at the way the draft works and accept that it's somewhat random in who you're selecting, if you can control the outcome of the player to a certain extent, you're gonna be a lot better off. Um, so I think, oh God, we've been out on this for an hour 50 now. So just to finish everything off, cause we've taken up way too much of your time. Uh, other, so we, we covered a lot of prospects. Um, but are there any other guys you kind of wanted to talk about guys that you're really high on or guys that maybe aren't in elite prospects, top 31 that you think maybe should be, or guys you're just you're in love with for other reasons, whatever it is. Do you want to, do you have any of those guys that you want to talk about just to finish um, this off? I... I'm a huge Ty Tulio fan. We have him at 38. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we have him the highest on, on any list. Um, I, every time I watch this kid play, like I absolutely love it. Um, I also Tyson Forrester, another elite one timer. He basically just stands at the Ovechkin spot and hammers it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like back to Ty Tulio, I think that this kid um, is probably going to be like, or a solid second line threat. He's going to score. He's going to create. Um, he's an absolute pest. Um, so for me, like, I think I, I really like him. Um, I'm trying to think of like in the OHL. Um, for Ty Tulio. Um, so I think Bob McKenzie has him at 80 right here. Where do you think he should be going in the, in this oh, draft? I, in the early second round. Early second round. Okay, so that's a major um, Okay, so just a couple guys I'll name off that I'm fans of. Um, Leighton Moore, another Oshawa general. Ethan Cardwell, a Barry Colt. Um, e- Leighton Moore plays both forward and D. Um, he's creative. He's deceptive. He's small, but he defends well. Um, I don't know. I guess I just really like him because every viewing I've had, he's just always making things happen. Um, Ethan Cardwell is like, probably one of the best four checkers I think going into this draft. Um, he's like, he takes some really silly selfish penalties, but he's at the net front. He knows how to play in the middle of the ice. He creates space for his teammates. Just very tenacious on the puck. I think he's probably like a, a good third line player. Um, his teammate, Evan Veerling, um, high end skill. He was drafted second behind Byfield and they were actually on the same York Simcoe express team in minor hockey. He's got a ton of skill. I think he could develop into a second line center. Um, and it's just, the team has to be able to develop them. Um, I think we kind of talked about O'Rourke earlier. Um, I think yeah. he's got a chance to go in the first round. Um, and then another so guy. Who's what do you like about O'Rourke specifically? Because I he's another one of those guys where I see a lot of debate on him as to where he should be going in this draft. So I think 
the reason you're seeing debate is because he wasn't as offensive this year. And that is because the Greyhounds asked him to do something else. So <laughs> last season, O'Rourke proved that he could play offense and he could be that kind of top-end offensive defenseman. This year, Sault Marie really needed um, like a, a minute-eating, dominating defensive like defenseman. Um, and they didn't take him off the power play, so he still accumulated points. But he was playing like 30 minutes a night and consistently against the other team's top players, consistently physical and good gap control, good decision-making, good puck retrievals. He just wasn't scoring as much because he wasn't playing against lesser competition. He wasn't being asked to do as much on the defensive side of the game. So I actually think he developed more than most this year because he was asked to play a role that um, he hadn't been asked to play before. And so to me, he is probably one of the most well-rounded defensemen uh, in this draft. And I think a lot of people um, forget that some of this is role-related and, and coach-driven. So I think whatever team gets him is, is going to be very happy that they that they got him. Yeah, I think what you mentioned there is really important because I think from a fan perspective, that's kind of the hardest thing to kind of know about a player. You can watch them as much as you want, but if the coach is telling them to do one thing and their system is telling them to do one thing and you you don't know that and you don't see you obviously can't see that just from watching, you obviously have to read into it a little bit more, listen to coaches' interviews or whatever it is. You can't really get a full, complete breakdown of a player because you don't know if they're just getting pulled behind by their coach saying, Okay, no, don't rush up into the uh don't don't you gotta make smarter more conservative decisions exactly so i i think that's really important um anyone else you want to talk about briefly before we uh get you out of here um i would say that i (laughs) i like oxton took who plays in flint um i think he's a second year eligible um i really like his skill he's kind of like a water bug on the puck um, and the other thing, this guy gets a ton of uh, play on Twitter because he's a video game. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be touching Antonio Stranges with a 39 and a half foot pole. That's interesting. I did want to ask you about him. Okay, so break that break that down for us, please, because this is one of the more interesting stories about the draft. And I think after this, I'll, I'll let you go because I, I can probably ask questions forever. But what, what, what happened to him this year? Um, he is a coach's nightmare. <laughs> like there are times where like, even the commentators are like, Oh, here he goes. Oh, probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, look, it's scoring chance. Like, and then he's got like things where he, everyone's like, Oh, look, he's on his knees, stick handling in the neutral zone and dangling. <laughs> if you think for a single millisecond that an NHL coach is going to see that and go, yes, I want that. You are out of your goddamn mind. Like, yeah. <laughs> if a coach saw you stick handling on your knees doing toe drags in the neutral zone, you would be so stapled to the bench, like it wouldn't even be funny. So to me, Antonio Stranges is a guy that reeks of either gets drafted way too high or is a camp, like a development camp invite, which mm-hmm. absolutely he he has the skill and the talent to merit a development camp invite. I would not be expending anything more than like a sixth or seventh round pick on him because is the skill there? Yes. But Oh my goodness. The, the reliance on the Mohawk is ridiculous. Like he, it's almost like he just does it for funsies, which like you just shouldn't be doing. Um, The like 
I don't know of any player who would just like do a spinorama in front of their own net on the backhand. <laughs> like whoa. That, that's in- one of my favorite clips I saw this year. There's so there's so many of them. <laughs> and my, I think my favorite is like there were multiple times where I was watching London and they were in the defensive zone and not only was Strange's like not near the puck he wasn't even in the camera lens like not <laughs> on screen never mind like in the defensive zone helping not even on the screen so like where are you that your team is playing five on four and mm. I can't even see you like that's <laughs> that's not going to be a thing and there were multiple times where, like, Mark Hunter fully sat him for, like, an entire period, even while the team was down a goal, because he's like, you don't get it. <laughs> like, the I talent have... is insane, but he's you're not playing NHL 20. Like, you're playing hockey. I have to admit, as, as much as I acknowledge that those are such major problems, I really want the Leafs to draft him. <laughs> Just because I think it would just be so entertaining to watch and see what would happen within their organization. Honestly, like if Mike Babcock was still the coach of the Leafs yeah. and like had a player like Stranges, he would probably have a seizure behind the bench if he saw that. He'd be like, "At what? You drafted like, this? Even Sheldon Keefe would be like, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, like uh, the amount of ugh. clips I saw this year of him just like, handling in his own like slot area. This year was astounding. And I think I saw this clip from you. I think you posted it on Twitter. I want, I, I'm pretty sure it was you, but it, he was just stick handling. He was trying to stick handle himself outside, out, out of the slot in his own defensive zone. And I was yes. just, I think he kept the puck luckily, but. <laughs> it was like, okay, so here's the deal. There was one instance that has stuck in my head. He, was trying to get the puck out of his own zone. And instead of, you know, I don't know, using the boards or like his teammate, he flipped the puck up on his stick and started juggling it. Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, okay. You just made me love him even more. He's my favorite <laughs> hockey player now. <laughs> no, we need this in the NHL. We need this in the NHL. You could just see like his teammates be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and like the commentators were like, what is going on? When oh everyone God. in the rink is like, what is happening? Like, what the hell are you doing? That's not a good thing. So for me, like, some team is either going to take him way too high or he's going to be kind of one of those late round, like, guess we're going to see what happens here um, kind of picks. Because, like, holy moly, I, like, as a coach, I, I couldn't deal with it. I just, I really couldn't. I know you didn't mean to do this, but you've just convinced me so much more that someone needs to take him in, take him in, right. <laughs> see what he can do. Because I really, I need to see what he, he's going to do in the NHL because I need that entertainment in my life. Um, <laughs> but regardless, uh, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, before you go, is there anything you want to shout out? We mentioned uh, the Staff and Graph podcast earlier, but anything else you kind of want to mention? No, I think that's, it's kind of the only really, um, that's the only thing I'm doing right now. I mean, if you see me on York campus, you can say hi. But um, other than that, like I'm on Twitter and obviously kind of like the boy said, I um, I got the Staff and Graph podcast with Ian Tullick. So um, if you want to hear that, then it's on iTunes, Spotify, like Stitcher, basically anything. Yeah. But thanks for having uh, me any- on. 
Yeah, no problem. And for anyone that, that's going to be listening, I highly recommend wa- listening to their podcast. Because um, if, if you follow along with our page and you follow along with our podcast, you're probably into analytics, into stats, into the numbers more than the average hockey fan. And if there's any podcast on earth, hockey-wise, that does that, it it's it's your guys' podcast. You guys do it better than almost anyone else. Thank you. Um, so great job on that. Um, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, hope you have a great rest of your night. Thanks. All right. Take care, Rachel. All right. Have a great rest of the night, guys. Thank you. You too. Thank you everyone so much for tuning into this week's episode of Talking Hockey. You can follow us and stream us on Spotify and Apple and anywhere else that podcasts are available. Please leave a rating and review on Apple as it does a lot for the podcast and share our podcast with your friends. And post clips on Instagram and tag us on it for a repost. You know, we're always looking to grow our podcast. If there's anyone that you think we should talk to or any other podcast that you think we should collaborate with, please let us know. We're always willing to uh, open up our audience and, and try to expand. You can follow us on Instagram at Talking Hockey, and you can also find us on Twitter, which will be linked in the description below. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I look forward to uh, next week's episode.